Welcome to Encounter. We want nothing more than to help you find and follow Jesus. If you're a college student in Central Illinois, join us Monday nights, ISU's campus. We'd love to see you there. What is up? It's good to be here. Uh, It's been a minute. Uh, I think it's probably been a year since I've been here. Uh, We have been friends for quite some time. Uh, I think Encounter and Global Scope have probably partnered for, I was just thinking, back behind stage, pondering uh, probably a decade or so. And I work for an organiza- a missions organization based in Indianapolis. Ben said Trek. He makes it sound like I traveled. I, I drove in a car like two hours. But um, I did make that trek to be here with you tonight. But I work for a missions organization in Indianapolis uh, called CMF, Christian Missionary Fellowship. And Global Scope is like encounter all over the world. We have uh, 14 college ministries in 10 different countries that I can usually name. Scotland. England, Germany, Spain, the Netherlands, Thailand, Australia, Uruguay, Chile, and Mexico. So we're in, we're in 10 different countries, 14 ministries. I did it. I can do hard things. Um, but pretty cool. I get to be a part of uh, communities like this, but kind of all over the place. Not exactly what um, I thought I was going to do. Uh, I didn't study global scope in college uh, or ministry for that matter. Uh, and I'll tell a little bit more of my story later. Uh, so I don't want to spoil all that, but yeah, I hail from Indianapolis. Now I grew up in Atlanta. I do have a picture of my family. Uh, here we are. So I have to say, uh, that's me, uh, in the Atlanta Braves hat, <clears throat> their, uh, playoff baseball team. Um, yeah, I'm, am I in Cubs country? I like migrate. I was actually in Missouri yesterday. Kind of came through Cardinals country. Sorry, uh, and now I'm in Cubby's land. But this is uh, my wife there in the middle, uh, the world's largest 13-year-old Luke uh, Hattie down here. Yeah, he's six two. He's taller than I am. It's weird. Uh, and then that's Molly, our adopted. Uh, I think you're supposed to say aw. Yeah. So that's my crew. You can. Uh, Go to, do I have a next slide? I don't know. That's, that's my family. That's who I am. And also, I did want to say, uh, as, a, as a Braves fan, we are welcoming uh, any fans from other teams whose baseball teams aren't playing anymore. Uh, you can join us for the playoffs. We did win the World Series last year. Pretty cool. Um, unless, unless you're a Cardinals fan who is watching uh, the ninth inning of Game 1 of the last series. Uh, I don't want that mojo on us. Sorry, if you know, you know. I guess this is Cubs country. Everybody's like, what? What's baseball? Chiefs are playing tonight. Um, but I will, uh, I'll, I'll share more about me a little bit later. Um, I, I grew up in church. Uh, some of you have, some of you haven't. That's okay. Uh, but I grew up hearing the stories of Jesus, stories of the Bible. I've been around scripture my whole life. I didn't always take it seriously. But I've heard some stories over and over again. If you're new to faith, or maybe you're just checking this out, uh, welcome. I'm glad you're here. There is no pressure in this moment or tonight. I I invite you to just kind of explore and listen and take this in. And in some ways, I'm a little bit envious of folks who are newer to the faith. Because I don't know if you do this. If you grew up in church and you start to hear, okay, the guy's going to do the talking or the woman's going to speak. And, oh, I know this one, right? 
You ever feel that way? It's hard sometimes, I think, to look at Scripture with fresh eyes to see the story or the text. I have these jaded, skeptical, 44-year-old, I need readers, but I'm too proud to buy them, eyes that I see Scripture and the world through. If you see me leaning back, it's because of those eyes. But I'm skeptical. It's hard for me to, to enter into something fresh and new. And some of you, though you don't have 44-year-old eyes, you might be tempted to tune out when you hear like, oh, it's this one. But I encourage you to try to take it in anew. Take in what God has for us tonight. I get it. I understand what it's like to want to just set something on the side. But that's a challenge and the invitation. Because I believe that seeing Scripture as the inspired Word of God, as living and active, as having something, maybe it's got something for you tonight. I believe that it just might. But it can be a challenge. It can be a challenge if you've been around. So we're going to be in Luke tonight. Um, Luke chapter 9. I think Luke's probably my favorite uh, gospel account of the life and times of Jesus. Also my son's name. He's my favorite son and least favorite. Uh, Only got one boy. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 9. It says, When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. And he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we're in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. And they answered, uh, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for this whole crowd, about 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit in groups of about 50. The disciples did so and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke them. And he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're we're part of the way into Jesus' ministry here. Uh, uh, As you guys are probably aware, uh, his ministry was was only about three years. Uh, It took him three years to get killed. Pretty successful. Um, ministry, but we're part of the way in, and I find it fascinating that he has already sent out the disciples to go and do. It's very unlike college, actually. You sit here, right? You listen to us, talk at you. Not me. I'm not a professor. Um, Talk at you for a few years, and then you go and do. That was not how Jesus structured things, and I think it's an important point. I don't think it's the main point of the text here, but for those who follow Jesus... He turned right around and sent them out to do what he was doing, which was proclaiming the good news, 
preaching the gospel, talking about the kingdom of God, healing the sick, casting out demons. Those disciples were doing all the same things that Jesus was doing. He said, okay, you guys go out and do it. See, following Jesus is not a spectator sport. Following Jesus is participatory. You got to like go do stuff, not just watch. And, and yes, Jesus had a following. Yes, he was an influencer. Yes, but he was looking for people to go do the things that he told them to do. It wasn't about smashing that like button and subscribing. No, it was about following and going and doing. That's what it was like to follow Jesus around. So back to our story today. Jesus and the disciples are trying to get away. They've just had, a, I think, a hard uh, little stretch of ministry. They've seen all kinds of things. They're trying to go on retreat. They're headed out to the, uh, the little Galilee of, well, Galilee, um, this town called Bethsaida. They needed a break, which I totally get. Like, ministry can be hard. They're trying to get out. But what happens? We read it, right? The crowds, they followed him. It's kind of like when I go to go home from work and I want to rest and recoup. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I have kids. Um, with needs and wants and desires and all the things. And it's wonderful and great. Yeah, yeah. But not restful. Uh, not yet. Ben and Joe, please tell me when it gets restful. Um, but multiply that by like a few thousand and that is what Jesus is dealing with. But Jesus sees them. Jesus sees the crowd and he has compassion on them. He preaches, he teaches, he heals some of them. And then the day starts to wear on. The disciples are checking their watches. They'd like retreated. They're kind of out in the middle of nowhere, right? And they're like, hey, like, we're going to retreat, right, man? Also, these people are going to get hungry. They're going to faint. Like, where are we going to put them? Can, can we send them on? Can we do our retreat, please? And I think, it's, I think it's interesting. Did you catch what Jesus said? Well, you give them something to eat. They're like, uh, we've got like one Lunchable. And <laughs> a lot of people... <laughs> It says 5,000 men, which was like, who knows, like very patriarchal society in that time. And so it was like, who knows, 15,000, 20,000 people and a Lunchable. Uh, disciples are like, what are we supposed to do here? And that's where the miracle takes place. Jesus takes that little bit they have. He gives thanks. He starts splitting it up. And everyone has not only what they need but more than what they need. Twelve baskets left over. So I like John's account. It's not what Ben gave me. But all four Gospels have this story in there. But in John's account, it's a little boy who brings his lunch, this offering. Five loaves and two small fish. And I've heard some say that maybe people circling up in 50s, like maybe they actually had food. And maybe what happened when the boys shared was everybody started sharing with each other. And there was enough there. I've, I've heard this take. 
uh, if you have trouble, I do have trouble believing in miracles, but I want to believe. Help me with my unbelief. However, I, I, can't, I can't get there on this one. I, I don't think 15,000, 20,000 people sharing their lunches together, that's an awesome like kindergarten lesson, but I, I don't believe that's what happened here. I think these people are, they are desperate, they are desolate. These people don't have lots of resources. Jesus groups them together. Sharing is good. Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. Like, it is important. But something happens here. Something miraculous happens. Yes, we need to share. <laughs> but Jesus did something. And it wasn't just what they needed. He saw them. He had compassion on them. But he gave them more than what they needed. He saw them and had compassion. I think it's amazing. He was looking for a getaway. He wanted, Jesus was, uh, this is one of the great mysteries, right? That Jesus was both God and human. And I think I grew up thinking that Jesus was like, I don't know, like human, wink, wink. Um, But the last few years, I've kind of been digging into like Jesus's humanity here. He was tired. He felt everything we felt. He wept like Jesus was a human and he needed to step away, but he saw the people. He saw their needs. He started healing them. He took time for them. They were hungry and he did something about it. He didn't want anybody fainting on the road or robbing someone else to get a piece of bread. But I think it's interesting what he, what he didn't do, how this all actually went down. You know, he didn't call bread into existence from nothing. I mean, if I was Jesus, let's imagine, that'll be fun. First of all, I'd go a little flashier than bread and fish, okay? And, I, you know, I probably would have done a little, like, poof sort of thing, pizzas in the boxes. That's not how he rolled, He took what they had and provided. He took an offering. John would say a little boy's offering. And it kind of reminds me of what he does with us sometimes. He takes who we are. He takes our time. takes our talents, our gifts. And if we give them to him, he multiplies them. He works within people and communities to meet our needs and accomplish what it is that he wants to accomplish. I just love how he takes this tiny bit and provides so much. He also, okay, back to if I was Jesus. uh, I also would have passed it out. Did you notice, like, he has the disciples pass this out. He involves not only the boy but the disciples in the miracle. Like this, this is part of the, I mean, there was something divine and amazing happening there, but also something human. Like, hey guys, remember he said, give them something to eat. And then he provided it. They were involved. Again, like he, he could have played this up a little better. Don't you think? You ever thought about that? This is like a big deal. And he's like, here guys, just give them the stuff and then collect the baskets. Like, 
I think I would have gone with, okay, step right up, grab your bread and fresh salmon, lightly buttered, fresh off the grill, everyone, seared in a wine sauce that is divine. But no, that's not how he rolls. You catch that? Yeah, that was for you, Ben. <laughs> that's the gospel according to Phil. Uh, Jesus just coolly and calmly passes out the food and they get what they need. Thousands upon thousands are satisfied. He involves others in this thing, in what's happening. And he provides in this very unexpected way. I think that's what God does with us. He takes what we are, what we have, and uses it for the good of others. And honestly, that's, that's kind of my story, too. Not feeding 5,000 people, literally, but taking like, hey, Jesus, this is, this is what little I have. I mean, can you imagine the boy? <laughs> like, well, there's this. I've been thinking about the boy. He had his lunch, but he gave it up. He, he might have gotten nothing in return. It's almost even ridiculous, right, with that crowds and crowds. But he's like, what, Jesus, can you do something with this? So I grew up uh, outside of Atlanta. I uh, grew up in church, as I mentioned. I've uh, been following stories, been in church my whole life, but I wasn't really all in, I don't think, until, until college. Um, through high school, involved in youth group, but was living like a couple different lives, maybe. Maybe two or three even, depending on what crowd I was in. Kind of pharisaical at times. And I went to Georgia Tech to study engineering and make lots of money, which has worked great for me. Um, <laughs> clearly. But I, 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 I knew I needed a community. And so the very first Thursday night, uh, two old friends from youth group uh, call me up and they're like, you need to come to this place. It's like Encounter. It's called Christian Campus Fellowship. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll probably go. And they're like, no, we're picking you up. We're, we're taking you. We'll be there. And so I show up and this is not, this is not what I expected. Like, I see this huge community, much like this, like hundreds of people. And I'm like, wait, like, this is college, right? Like, these people are here. Like, no one's mom took them, I don't think. Um, like, people are there, like, by choice. There was something amazing in that space and in that community. And I also encountered a, a different kind of pastor. Uh, my campus minister is many things. Um, but he is real and authentic. He's still there at Georgia Tech. And I remember, I don't remember exactly what he preached on that first week, but I was like, wow, this is, this is different than what I'd experienced in church. I'm sure it was unintentional, but I think my perspective growing up was that preachers and youth pastors, like you got to have it all together. If you're, if you're going to stand up here and do this, you've got to either have it all together or pretend like you have it all together. 
And that guy didn't have it all together. I don't either. But I found this realness and vulnerability and authenticity that just drew me in. And that place saved me. I was saved before then, but that place saved me from a, a dark path. I, Georgia Tech's a terrible place. No one should go there. Um, I love my school. We've actually won two football games back-to-back, which is kind of amazing. But it is a, it is a brutal atmosphere. It's an engineering school. They brag about, like, how many people flunk out. Uh, it's like 38% failure rate. At orientation, no joke, you sit down and they're like, look to your left, look to your right. One of these people won't be here when you graduate. And if they're both here, then it's you. (laughs) No joke. It is a cutthroat place that I somehow got out of. But it wasn't just that that was hard. I didn't know how to be real and authentic. I had internal struggles. I had struggles with doubt. I had a pornography addiction. I, I didn't know what I believed about scripture. Exactly. What do you do with miracles? And I found somebody who would listen when I finally opened up and I found a community of people that walked with me. And that, that's why I say that place saved me. So I did get out of Georgia Tech. I do have a degree, a dusty degree. Um, but as I was finishing my time, I got to this interesting place. I, was, um, I studied industrial and systems engineering and had a job at Coca-Cola doing fountain engineering, helping McDonald's uh, sell more and more precise Coke. Uh, but I was looking around at, at, at my job. I had a job that I could have taken would have been well-paying. I had, I had this plan, all worked out for my life. Careful. Um, but I started looking around, and I, I just kind of had this thought of, is, is this it? I had a relationship end. I started looking at miserable engineers. Not all engineers are miserable, but many, many are. Um, and I just thought, God, is this it? Is this it? And I prayed a dangerous prayer. I said, God, if there is something else you want me to do, now would be a good time to let me know. Which is silly. God knew. But God did something in that prayer, in and through me. I don't know what I... It's been so long. It's been a long time ago. But I do remember that prayer. I didn't tell anyone about that prayer. I prayed it for a few weeks. And a group of people came back from Santiago, Chile, and they said, Phil, we're going to go plant a global scope there. We had planted one global scope at that time in Mexico City. And they came back from Santiago and they said, it's amazing. It feels like Atlanta, but in Spanish. Uh, It's pretty cool. Bigger mountains, beaches closer, sounds better than Atlanta. Uh, About the same on the traffic. But they came back, they were like, there are 300, there are like 30 universities in Santiago, 350,000 college students there, and no CCF, no encounter to speak of. And they said, your name kept coming up on that trip. 
my first thought was, well, that's what I get for praying. Um, and it is. It is. I started praying more, like, could, could this be it? Like, I, these are my five loaves and my two fish. I don't, I don't know what I have to bring. What does an engineer have to bring to Santiago? I remember one time we were doing this, trying to figure out, anybody done these uh, spiritual gifts assessments? We're doing those, and I'm like, I don't know, like leadership or teaching, and doubt it, administration, whatever. So I asked my campus minister, I was like, what do, you, what do you think my spiritual gift is? He's like, Phil Tatum, your spiritual gift is spunk. <laughs> like, what? He's like, spunk. You, like, you, you bring energy, you bring stuff, like, you're the guy. And I'm like, I, what, did Paul, which, which list? Is that in Third Thessalonians or the Book of First Opinions? What are you talking about? Um, but he wasn't wrong. I do have a little bit of that. Whatever that is, I don't even know that word. Do people use that word? It doesn't matter. Uh, but I'm like, I, I have this. I have my story. And I'm not afraid to tell people what God has done in my life. It, how about that? Jesus, can you multiply that? kind of been multiplying that since uh there's a couple uh this was maybe eight or nine years ago so i've been in my current role uh helping lead our global scope teams for for 12 years now and eight or nine years ago we thought we we're gonna have to close the ministry in in bangkok thailand uh that ministry started 2002 we we're having folks leave it is a, Thailand's a tough place. It is not for the faint of heart. It is very hot and humid. Uh, I think it's the fourth hardest language to learn in the world. Uh, young people are from a animistic Thai Buddhist culture. I mean, worldview is so different. It is a, it is a tough place. When I talk to people who want to do Global Scope, they're like, where's, where's your number one need? I'm like, Thailand. And they're usually like, what is your second biggest need? <laughs> So we're in this tough time. This is eight or nine years ago. <clears throat> and I'm like, I, I don't know. We might have to close it. and that, That'll be okay. God's still God. And I was talking. I was in uh, Evansville, Indiana. And I was talking to Pete Coco, who used to be on staff at Encounter. And he was like, you know, I, there's a young couple in the Philippines. They've been a part of Encounter in the Philippines. I don't know. What do you think? What about them? Could you think they could do it? I don't know. Let's talk to them. Like I'm open to it. I don't know how we'd pay for it. I've I've never met these folks. They'd have to learn, you know, their fifth language, maybe. Mark and Princess Bernardino have been in Thailand in Bangkok ever since, telling Thai Buddhists and. Burmese atheists and all kinds of folks from throughout the region about Jesus. They've been there ever since. They were willing to go. I don't know. I don't even know how we did that. God, manna. They have, gone, they have, they have endured more, uh, certainly more than I have, but more than any other Global Scope missionary I know. Thai people look down on Filipinos they are discriminated against probably daily. 
They've confronted racism, a lack of health insurance, um, had three kids. Mark has been, for several years, was legally blind. He was finally going to have the surgery to fix his eyes, and he got swindled out of thousands of dollars from a Filipino doctor who just took the money and ran. Praise God, he recently had surgery and has corrected his vision, which is amazing. Praise God. Also, he's doing a much better job responding to my emails now. Um, I think I get it. I think I get it now. Like, no joke, she, Princess would read emails to him, so no wonder it took a long time. These people, though, these are young, this was a young couple, and they said, well, what if we went? Here's our five loaves, our two fish. Another friend uh, who I talked to today, she was going to come here tonight, uh, but is sick. A young woman named Lydia, who uh, it's probably around that same time, maybe that same conference. Um, there used to be this uh, large student gathering in Evansville, and Encounter would take a bunch of students there, and I stood up and made some announcement there. And Lydia Wilson <clears throat> thought, well, maybe, maybe I could do that. Which is funny because Lydia uh, never wanted to leave this country. Uh, she's a vegetarian and a picky vegetarian, which is like, whoa, brutal. Uh, but she'd been a part of Encounter. God had done something in her life, in this place, in this community. And she thought, well, I don't know, maybe I could go. And she turned to Phil Lopez and said, what do you think? Should I maybe go to Global Scope?" Phil said, yeah, you should do Global Scope. I don't know if you still do a week of prayer, but she told me they did this whole week of prayer, and she just felt a peace about that. And so Lydia, Lydia went to Salamanca, Spain with us and served very faithfully for three years. Uh, I wanted it to be 30 years, um, but she came back to teach and is serving in that way now. And it has changed. It was awesome. I got a few messages from her today. It, it's changed her life. She was just with her two best friends. They've all been in each other's weddings. And these were two girls, one from Alabama and one from California, that she met serving together on our team in Spain. She didn't have a lot. She didn't have Spanish when she went. But she was like, here's... Here's my story. Here's my offering. God, can you do something? Can, can you multiply? Can you multiply this? You see, the thing is, God doesn't have to. But God works in and through us. That's pretty amazing. God chooses to work in and through us. The band's not moving. You guys can head up. I, I don't think God is calling everyone in here to be a missionary. Calm down. That's not what I'm going to do. I think he's calling somebody. And maybe somebody's. But what I think God is calling all of us to do is to set aside 
our perspective, our idea of scarcity, and realize that our God is a God of abundance. God is asking us to take stock of our lives, who we are, what we have, what we're passionate about, what He has done with us, and say, here are my five loaves and two fish. Can you do something with that, God? I think He's calling all of us to do that. And that could be a missionary, that could be a campus minister in Bangkok. But it could also be a teacher. Please, we need teachers, I've got kids. Could be an engineer, a coach, a parent. What 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 is God? What can you give to God that God might multiply? It's a poet who I like, Mary Oliver, who says What are you going to do with this one wild and precious life? What are you going to do with this one wild and precious life? I love college ministry. I love being here. I love being around all of you. Because you're in it. Maybe maybe mom or dad is pressuring hard about what you need to do with your life. But it is your wild and precious life. Sorry, mom and dad. That's a story for next time. I've, I've had my own struggles with my parents. They were not all excited about my career path. They've come around. But it is your life. And you are, you are in this beautiful crossroads. I know there is student debt. I know there are responsibilities. But what are you going to do? What might God be asking you to, to hand over and see what he might multiply? What are your five loaves? What are your two fish? What might God do? How might God multiply what you lay at his feet to provide not just enough, but more than enough? What are your five and two? Pray with me. God, I thank you that you are a God of abundance. God, you see us. You see our needs. You see our physical needs. You see where we're hurting, where we need healing. You see our emotional needs. God, I thank you that you are a God of compassion that was most fully embodied in Jesus. God, you see us. You know what it is that's keeping us from giving giving what we have and who we are back to you. God, help us to trust you. To trust that you've got something good that you want us to be involved. You don't turn stones into bread. You multiply what we give to serve and love and bless others. God, help us to think about what are five and two? God, help us to give it to you and to trust you. 
God, we love you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Find out more about Encounter and ways to get involved at isuencounter.org.